Well, Happy New Year, folks. The New Year, as a lot of us are thinking about, is a time of new beginnings, uh, new starts, or even some restarts. And some of us are thinking about new presents, even, and new books to read, new uh, budgets, new careers, new relationships, new commitments. And as we walk through the book of Ephesians, we have the opportunity to think through what it looks like to rededicate ourselves to fighting. Fighting to see the gospel claim every single inch of our lives. From the greatest things, whatever it is, those greatest things that you assign to be great, to even the mundane things, the domestic things, things like uh, the daily grind of parenting your children. And that's actually what's addressed in our passage today from Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 to 4. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 to 4. It can be found on page 979 if you're using one of those black Bibles there in front of you. 979. As you're turning there, I'll give you a little bit of background here. Paul had written this letter to the church of Ephesus and the surrounding regions there in the Greco-Roman Empire. And he wanted them to be rooted in the grace of God. And chapters 1 to 3, as we've mentioned before, speak about God and what God has done through Jesus Christ, who God is and what he has done. And then chapters 4 to 6 speak about all the practical, many of the practical implications that flow from chapters 1 to 3. So today we see the gospel applications to the relationship between a parent and a child. Ephesians chapter 6 verses 1 to 4, I'll go ahead and read that. It says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, some of you guys might be thinking on this very first Sunday of the new year, you might be thinking, okay, so is the pastor going to preach on these everyday mundane matters of parent-child relationship? You know, you might, you might want to be thinking, you might be thinking, well, let's get on to more important or more weighty matters. Actually, you know, Paul, uh, the very fact that he's addressing these things, it is included in the weighty matters of Scripture. This is a really important Scripture, and let me tell you why. God intends His church... According to Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10, he intends his church, that is us and every other gospel-preaching, gospel-believing church in the world, uh, to be displaying his glory. And this is a theme throughout uh, the book of Ephesians, really. In chapters 1 and 2, God saves for his glory. He predestines to the praise of his glorious grace. In chapters 2 and 3, God gathers his people in Christ to display the power of Christ's reconciliation in his blood and so corporately you have the church right he brings us into his church to then display his glory to the watching world we display his glory to the powers of the universe as it says in chapter three but not only the church as a whole so even those inside the church we as individual christians Inside the church, display his glory as chapter 4 talks about how uh, we as individuals are changed uh, into more and more of his likeness. And so the bad, sinful things that we used to do, we put it off and now we display Christ's likeness. We display 
personal godliness. But not only the individuals are they displaying God's glory. It's also the ways in which the individuals interact with one another. So the last couple times that we looked at the book of Ephesians, we see here that even the marriage relationship displays the glory of Jesus Christ. As husbands give themselves just as Christ gave himself for the church, so husbands are to love their wives. And then as the church proclaims the fact that God is so great in submission to him, in relaxation, in salvation to this wonderful Jesus Christ, we proclaim his character. And so wives even as they submit to their fallen, sinful husbands, proclaim that same satisfaction in Jesus. And here we see that even the parent-child relationship and the responsibilities that here are placed on all of our shoulders, even here it displays the glory of God and His ways and His will. Now, if you're visiting with us, please know that the Bible teaches that the gospel is supposed to affect, once again, every inch of our lives, every aspect of the Christian life. The gospel gives us motivation to live in a Christ-like way. So logically, of course, we understand that this would be the case. When people become Christians, we get back into relationship with God, our very creator, the very one who made us, who intended us to be in a relationship with him. Now imagine if you go and fracture that relationship with the Creator. He has all resources, all wisdom, all knowledge. He knows the future. He knows what is best, and He wields all of those attributes to, for His people. And He intended to do that to Adam and Eve. Now imagine if you, as a sinful person, Adam and Eve, just like Adam and Eve, right, they sinned against God, and therefore, because they sinned, we are from Adam and Eve, and we too are sinful people. They fractured that relationship with God. They chose by their own will, to cut themselves off from all of those resources and most importantly, the one who defines all those attributes and possesses all those things, that is God. So every aspect of the relationship, all of a sudden, they cast themselves out into a very dark place trying to order their own relationships, relying on themselves. And so they therefore are in darkness. They are in sin. And this is the picture of every single person in this world. The great news of the gospel, gospel literally means great news, good news, is that God of his own free will chooses to reconcile and pursue those very sinners who rebelled against him. And so he sends Jesus Christ into the darkness as the light, and Christ takes on flesh, and where the sinners deserve punishment, Jesus bears the punishment for us. He's the one who bears the wrath that we deserve on the cross. So that everyone who would repent and believe would be brought back into fellowship with him. And so that's what chapter 2 talks about. It talks about reconciliation with God through Jesus Christ. Even though we were children of wrath. And he does that all by his own free grace and his love and his mercy because he loves us. In light of that, it's no wonder that the gospel then changes every aspect of our lives. We get back into relationship with this God who has all of these attributes and all of the uh, the storehouse of wisdom and knowledge then can be wielded for you if you repent and believe. And so all of our relationships then are being reordered as we are attached to Christ the head. And we as his church are his body. And so naturally everything we do brings glory to him. Even the ways in which parents relate to their children. The ways in which children relate to their parents. Well, today we look at how the gospel affects our relationships between the parent and the child. 
Look there at verse 1 of chapter 6. This is point number 1. We look first at the responsibility of children. The responsibility of children. Now, look, if you don't have children, uh, this still applies to you. Because together, we ought to be encouraging the little ones to, to, towards godliness. And so you guys, as you pray through the church directory, which uh, we're going to be printing out next week and handing out, uh, there you can be praying through the church directory and praying for the couple's children in the church. So you can be praying these godly things by the power of the Spirit into the little children by God's grace. So this still is useful for you as, you, as we strive to be a body. Uh, going back to point number one, we see here the responsibilities to children. In keeping with Paul's concern or his pattern that he started in 522, Paul addresses those under authority, and then he moves to address those who are in authority. So he starts with the children, and then eventually he's going to move and speak to the parents. But children, you look there in verse number one, you see your responsibility. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. I mean, Paul here, he speaks directly to you. Isn't that interesting here? He assumes that the children are going to be present listening to the letter that the Apostle Paul himself is writing to the church. So he addresses the children in the church and says, look, this, children, is your responsibility. Do you hear Paul speaking to you, little children? Talking directly to you. Of course, this also includes other older children who are underneath the care and the uh, who are dependent upon their parents. The question, though, is, do you actually listen, children? Well, we know that Paul and God, through Paul, is speaking to you. The question is, do you listen? You know what Jesus says about his true followers, right? So if you claim to be a Christian, this is what Jesus says about his true followers. In John ten twenty seven, he says, My sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they listen to me. In this case, Christ is calling his sheep, children, obey your parents in the Lord. This is right. That's your responsibility laid squarely on your shoulders. Now, growing up, I was quite the sinful child, the rebellious child. You can speak to my dad. He'll freely tell you all about that. I give you permission, dad, to talk about all my problems. And I often wondered, why do I have to submit to my parents' authority? It seems like such a natural question, doesn't it, that a little sinner would ask? Well, the rest of verses 1 and 3 gives us the answers. First, he gives three answers, really. First, if you're taking notes, he says, oh, Obey your parents, or obedience to your parents is according to God's order. Obeying your parents, obedience to your parents is according to God's order. It says, Obey your parents in the Lord. And that's in the Lord is really important here. The Christian's entire life is to be lived in the Lord. As we are attached to Christ who is the head. We are his body. So everything that the Christian does is to be done under the lordship of Jesus Christ. So following Jesus doesn't only mean changing your Sunday schedule. Following Jesus here changes our entire lives. It changes the ways in which we are to even behave towards our parents. So kids, listen up here. In ongoing obedience can be a sign of godliness. Isn't that interesting? Your ongoing obedience may, may be a sign of godliness. So if you're wondering, you know, gosh, am I really a Christian? What you definitely should look for is, number one, do I believe the truths of the gospel? 
which I mentioned earlier. And if you're not if you're not clear on what the gospel is, feel free and ask your parents when you get home. The second thing you can look for is 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 am I giving up my sinful life and then continuing to trust in Jesus? But did you know, children, that a sign that you may be doing these things, that is believing and turning from your sin, a sign of that is obedience to them. So believing in Jesus' words will lead you to obey his command, to obey your parents. Turning from your sin will lead you to turn from your disobedience. So an ongoing obedience done out of a love for Jesus can be evidence that a child is truly a follower of Jesus. And you know what an ongoing disobedience is evidence of, children? An ongoing disobedience? You know, if obedience is a sign of godliness, then an ongoing pattern of disobedience is a sign of great ungodliness. A fundamental characteristic of sin is disobedience to parents. And in Scripture, this disobedience to parents is tightly connected to and follows on the heels of disobedience to God. You know what's interesting? Growing up, I don't think I ever heard anyone, so far as I can remember, I don't think I heard anyone tell me that straight up, that your disobedience, your ongoing disobedience is a sign of great ungodliness. Man, how helpful that would have been to be shaken in my own sinfulness. So Romans chapter 128 Let's go ahead and turn over there. If you're a child, I hope you're going to turn there too. If you're an adult sitting next to a child, help them find it. Romans chapter 1, 28. By the way, if you're visiting with us, uh, you know, not every sermon is so heavily directed towards children. We preach the Bible, and where the Bible is addressing children, we're going to go ahead and address children. So here we are. Uh, pay attention, children and adults. It says, uh, talking about those who had rebelled against God in great wickedness in effort to suppress righteousness. It says, and they did not see fit to acknowledge God. Well, the question is, what does God do in response to their sin? God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. In other words, God's giving them over, children uh, and people who had rebelled against God, uh, to doing what their hearts already wanted. It says there, they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness. Now you can think of like the worst unrighteousness you can think of, okay? He says here, evil, covetousness, malice, ill will towards other people. They are filled of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil. Now get this, disobedient to parents. What is the thing, what is the thing that ought not to be done according to order? Disobe- disobedience to your parents here. And, and then later on you can look at uh, 2 Timothy 3.15. This is a, a sign of the last days where God has given over people to their sinfulness. Also there... There it's said that a world characterized by sin is disobedience to their parents. So where there is an ongoing pattern of disobedience, there is godlessness. On the other hand, where there is an ongoing obedience with a genuine desire to please God, there is godliness, right? This is God's created order. This is the first reason that he gives for why you should obey your parents in the Lord's, because it's in the Lord. Second reason why you should obey your parents. 
is found also there in verse 1. And I love it because Paul is so straightforward. He says, this is right. Obey your parents because this is right. You know, virtually all cultures in the world acknowledge the rightness, go figure, of a child obeying his earthly creators. Of a child submitting to the very ones he needs to, he or she needs to live. Virtually all cultures in the world acknowledge that is a good thing. You know, Paul in his day, it wasn't the only, it wasn't only Christians that taught these things. The, Gre- the Greeks taught those things. The Romans taught these things. And to some of you, you might find it interesting that 500 years before Paul's day, a Chinese man named Confucius taught these things. Many of, of us stem from a culture uh, deeply influ- influenced by Confucianism. So if we are Chinese, Korean, Japanese, Vietnamese, and other Asian cultures in general, you know, he taught that the very key fundamental to maintaining the, and preserving the society structures and the ongoing goodness of the world was, get this, right relationships. Fulfilling one's duty in these relationships, maintaining duty in the order of relationships. Now, you know, while Christians disagree with what these cultures taught about God and a lot of their own worldview, we can praise God that in His common grace, and in His goodness to everybody, whether wicked or righteous, He has ordered things in such a way where the need, the rightness of a child to obey their parents is plainly evident and seen as good. Now, without doubt, in pockets in the world, in certain cultures, things are changing very quickly. But insofar, while it's largely recognized, we can certainly thank God for his common grace, that that is a good thing. Meaning that there are non-Christians who look over to the Christians and say, yes, of course you should obey your parents. That's just a good thing, because they recognize it to be true, largely. Now, to Christians, the need for children to obey their parents is even clearer. And this is the third reason why you, as a child, should obey your parents in the Lord. It's because God's word says so. Because God's word says so. To show more specifically why obeying parents is right, he goes on and draws from the Ten Commandments. This is serious weight here, right? He's drawing from the Ten Commandments that represented all of the law that undergirded the civil society, uh, the, the worshiping society of Israel. Of God's people. He says, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Now, let's go to the Ten Commandments for proof. So for Paul, to refer to one of the commands here, he's trying to root the the church in the worship of God, stems, that goes back even into the Old Testament. We see even more the rightness of the command, not only in the fact that he draws from the Ten Commandments, but the the... This command's relationship to the other commands. It's interesting here that this commandment to obey your parents and the Lord, honor them, is the first command in the Ten Commandments that addresses relationships among God's people. Isn't that interesting? I mean, if you think if you were going to order your society, uh, you know, you might give certain commands for the people and how they are to interact with one another, and the very first one God gives is, children, honor your parents. You see how fundamental to society honoring and obeying your parents is? Commandment number one is uh, there are no other gods. Commandment number two is don't make another idol. 
Commandment three is don't take the Lord's name in vain. So you see how everything is in relationship to, to be, uh, between the God and God and his people. Commandment four is remember the Sabbath. Rest like God, which points to a rest in Jesus Christ. Commandment five then. Okay, now let's turn and look about how uh, my character ought to interact amongst the people or show itself here in the people. He says there, honor your father and your mother. The interesting is that he could have said to parents, he could have said parents, Raise your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. But he doesn't say that. He says, you children. And all of us have parents, right? Or at least caretakers. Adam and Eve, of course, you know, they don't have human parents. But everyone from Adam on here is to obey this command. And so the weight of this command falls on every human being. Which I think is one reason why he doesn't say, parents, uh, go on and... Raise your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord because not everybody's going to have children. So he puts this responsibility on everyone. Children. You see how learning to live life under God's rule involves at its center learning to live under your parents' rule? Learning to live under God's rule uh is helped, actually, to live underneath your parents' rule. There's an interesting connection there. And it makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, if your sin of pride, my sin of pride, I was a very rebellious child, if my sin of pride leads me to reject the closest relationship that I have on earth, then surely my pride is going to set itself against God, my spiritual creator, my heavenly father. Right, the pride there that rejects parents' rule is going to set itself against uh, against uh, the, the rule of the Creator. And of course, you end up rebelling all sorts of authorities. Children, here's one reason why it's so important to obey your parents. Because obeying your parents prepares you to learn how to obey God Himself. Because obeying your parents prepares you to learn how to obey God Himself what I mean is that the stuff required to obey your parents is the same stuff required to obey your creator. The same type of stuff. The stuff of humility, teachability, gratitude. So you may ask, well, well, how exactly do I learn humility and teachability and gratitude when I'm submitting to my parents when I don't want to? Well, I'll give you a practical example. If you are a parent... Um, I encourage you to log this one down. If you want to be a parent, I encourage you to log this one down too. Uh, we learned this technique from other parents, and we found it very effective. And you can use this with teens. You can use this with little kids. Uh, but you know, sometimes all children, eventually, they'll rub up against the parent's authority. And um, let's say, let's just give this example, that they desperately, desperately want to play a board game, maybe even a video game. And uh, that thing, that game might be a great board game, maybe even a great video game. But in your parents' wisdom, they say, they determine that, look, it's not the wisest thing for you to play this at this point in time. And you know what? You know, you guys know, kids get so discouraged, like the end of the world, it's like their whole bodies are melting because they can't play this video game. It's the end of the world, and then comes the complaining, the fussing, and the moping, right? We have done this. I have done this, maybe. Certainly, I have done this. And in their discouragement and complaints, we as parents need to call them to obey. But we also try to undergird their obedience 
with a heart of trust and teachability and humility. And we do this by basically just working through all of, uh, working through questions of fact. So what this looks like, right? Our children are melting. You know, they think that they're dying. Uh, then we say, look, guys, have, uh, have we ourselves, we as your parents, ever enjoyed that thing? And therefore, do you think that we know what you're going through? Of course, the answer, they say, yes. Do we want you to enjoy that thing? Yes. Have we let you enjoy that thing ever in the past? Yes. In fact, are we planning for you to enjoy that thing in the future? Yes. Then do you think, is it at all possible, is there a chance in the world at all, in the universe, that you could trust us in this decision? Yes, yes there is. And then still, even if there's pushback, then we go, then we go to something different. We say, look, how old are you? I'm five years old. How old am I? Oh, you're almost 40 years old. You're really old. And say, okay, I'm 40 years old. How old is mom? Well, mom's 35 years old. Okay, so we together have a collective, let's say, 75 years of experience, mistakes and failures and joys and obedience and disobedience. Do you think at all that we might be just a little bit wiser than you, a five-year-old, to go ahead and make this decision for you? And usually... By God's common grace, even though that some of them might not be believers, they might go and say, actually, yeah, I think you're right. So many times by God's grace, our kids' hearts are moved to humility, teachability, trust, and gratitude. And it's a wonderful thing to see children say, you know what, my parents actually are wiser than I am. And even when I don't understand, I can trust them. Friends, what a better thing. To see them grow into adulthood and really wrestle with idolatries. Now, I recognize that playing a video game could also be idolatries. Uh, but how awesome would it be to see them grow into adulthood and be faced with a choice to follow either the sinful ways of the world and their heart or follow God's desires and then see them exercise humility, teachability, gratitude, and be able to say that Yes, there is an all-wise God, my creator. And even though I really want to live a life of sin, I know that God is good, that he is wise, and that without a doubt he has shown his love for me in the past in Christ, and that he wants to show his love for me in the future in Jesus Christ. And I can trust him, even when I don't understand. And we as parents, even in that act of disciplining and encouraging them to trust, we point them to a God who is all-wise, all-knowledgeable, and the one they can trust. You know, kids, you really do grow in humility when you obey. Isn't that encouraging? When you exercise obedience, that, that should really encourage you because you are growing in humility. You learn to appreciate a wisdom greater than your own, a knowledge greater than your own, an experience much more vast than your own. And hopefully as you grow up to be adults, you end up saying, my parents are really wise, but God is wiser. And you begin to see a reflection of his wisdom in your parents, and you really say, wow, God is the wisest, and I want to submit myself to him. Now, there will come a time when you too, by God's grace, will possess wisdom. But did you know that God's plan in get, getting you that wisdom is that you learn from your parents? your caretakers, those in authority over you. 
So kids, again, let me speak to you. If you find yourself disobeying your parents and in an ongoing fashion, and you don't really seem to repent, Jesus calls you to repent of your sins and do that now. And in humility and teachability, turn to Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Believe on him. Your all-wise creator who has given you your Christian parents for a reason to lead you to Jesus Christ. Trust me and your parents who at one time we are all rebels against Jesus Christ just like you. You do not want a heart that sits in pride. The world doesn't even like that. Who wants a coach or let's say who wants to coach a player who is uncoachable with so much pride? Who wants to teach a student who refuses to be taught? If the sinful world around you can identify that pride, that pride that rejects wisdom is ugly, imagine what God thinks of that same pride that rejects him. Proverbs 15.32 says this, Whoever ignores instruction despises himself. But he who listens to reproof or rebuke or warning gains intelligence, godly wisdom. Humility and teachability to God in the fear of the Lord, that is the good life. And that is what is held out to you, really, the good life. If you see what see there what Paul reminds us of, Paul reminds us that fulfilling the command to obey your parents in faith, in faith, comes with a promise. So there's a promise to you guys who are seeking to listen to Jesus Christ here in faith. Verses 2 and 3, this is the first command that comes with a promise, that it may go well with you. Here Paul draws again from the Ten Commandments, quoting from Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5, and taking them together. He's conflating the promises there. You know, originally when God gave these promises to Israel, he promised them that they would live long in the land he was going to give them in the future. But friends, this promise is for you too, though Israel doesn't seem to be on Paul's mind. Did you notice what Paul seems to intentionally leave out of the quotation? Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul in Ephesians 6 leaves out in the land your God is giving you. Instead, he simply writes that it may go well with you and that you may live long on the earth that God created and that God is recreating. So this I understand to mean living long in eternal life in the new heaven and the new earth that God is going to create recreate so children i hope that you do not think you do not conclude that uh that doing everything your parents asks equals salvation even your parents if they are christians submit to a higher authority that is the authority of god so remember when they ask you to obey remember that god asks you to obey for jesus's sake you are to obey your parents in the lord for this is right uh let me encourage you guys, you, you, the adults in the congregation, you know that there are parents oftentimes, or sorry, children oftentimes who don't have the opportunity to grow up with Christian parents. And so navigating what obedience really looks like and even what it looks like to trust in Jesus underneath that authority can really be tricky. And if we do our job over the years, think decades here, Lord willing, we're going to be ministering to many families and many children who come from broken families. By God's grace, we would be able to do that. And I pray that we as a congregation, even now, would be mindful to adopt, so to, so, adopt, so to speak, children who come from broken parents. 
uh, broken households, children who don't have the opportunity to learn about what living the gospel life, the good life really looks like. And then we can come alongside them and really help them to navigate what it looks like to trust in Jesus, even amidst difficult circumstances. So I pray that we would be mindful of these things, even mindful of the ways in which you can do this to your relatives, who maybe their children uh, don't have the opportunity to know what it looks like to uh, believe in Jesus Christ. These are wonderful opportunities for us to be holding out the fatherhood of God to everyone, even if we aren't physical fathers. Thus far, I've been speaking to younger, younger Christian children, uh, but how might this passage apply to you who may still be independent, or sorry, may be dependent upon your parents to a certain degree? You know, naturally they have given you a greater degree of freedom that matches a growing independence, which is a good thing. And these things can get a little bit gray. Uh, there I would encourage you to speak to those who, whose counsel you trust and go to them to work out the particulars. So if you have questions about whether or not you are obligated to obey your parents in some particular manner... You know, feel free to ask the godly people around you. Friends, what is clear in all situations, even after you are independent, is that we as Christians are still to honor and respect those who are older. We're supposed to honor the wisdom in those who are older than us. The wisdom that comes with age. So how do you respect uh, your elders in humility and teachability, recognizing their wisdom and knowledge and experience? There's tons of ways that you can do this. When was the last time you actually asked advice from your parents? I know some of you are probably thinking, oh, I don't think, I, I don't think you really want to encourage me to do that because my parents don't really give the greatest advice. But friends, asking doesn't mean you have to take their advice. Asking, though, shows that you are willing. You are willing to be taught. And you can even learn from their experiences even when they have not. What a wonderful thing it is to ask of their experiences, just to tell them, uh, to, to get them to tell you about their history, about their mistakes, about their, the, the wonderful things about their lives, and then for you to draw conclusions, even though they might not necessarily have drawn their own conclusions. But to even do that requires you to ask about their experiences. So that's my challenge for you in this new year. Develop, develop a stronger relationship with your parents. Just ask them there about themselves. And get them to tell, them, tell uh, stories about themselves and, how, and the things that they've learned. The things, hopefully, that God has taught them. Another way of honoring them is to treat them with respect and appreciation for what they have done for you. Treat them with respect and appreciation for what they have done for you. It's, a, it's amazing to think about the way that God wanted his world to be populated. You just thought, think about uh, appreciation. It's fascinating to think about the way that God designed this world to be populated. Uh, what he does is, um, you know, obviously, there are certain things that happen between man and woman, husband and wife. Uh, even in that, there's this aspect of togetherness that should foster a gratitude. And then all of a sudden, then, then, then there's conception, and then there's this gestational period. Uh, for nine months, I mean, why is it that we don't sort of just walk around just sort of popping out full-grown children? That literally just come out of you, and there's no intimacy involved. Like, why don't we just do that? And then all of a sudden, you're just walking out. Oh, there's another Jeremy. Oh, there's another Tony. And then, and, then, and, then, and then just the world gets populated. But that's not how God designs things. He designs 
children to be reliant and dependent upon parents for nine months usually and then the child comes out and then even then you know the child is not walking immediately oh that would really be freaky but yet there's years and years of growth and dependence upon the parents and so naturally uh, you know as the child gets older uh, unfortunately it takes many children so long to to get this but there's this right appreciation of our parents for what they have done for us the reality is is that many times just because of sin and our thick-headedness we don't realize what we have until many of our parents are gone due to our stupidity really but yet there is this appreciation that we ought to know and pursue and recognize and state and love our parents for that that's a way that you can do that so friends, have you ever stopped to think about regardless of what your parents have done or not done, have you ever thought about the ways in which you can appreciate your parents for? All the things that you can legitimately appreciate your parents for or your caretakers or those who are above you? Have you ever expressed that to them? Yes, I know that there are parents who make mistakes and sinful people. We would be foolish to assume that, that a parent can be perfect. All parents know that they are imperfect and sinful. But that doesn't mean that we should neglect appreciating them for what we can legitimately appreciate them for. So let me encourage you. In effort to honor your parents, take some time as we begin this new year to appreciate them. Send them an email today. Give them a card. Give them a phone call letting them know, hey, mom and dad, I, I've seen more and more of your sacrifices as I get older and I appreciate, I just want to let you know that I appreciate you for what you've done. Well, there you have it, children. That's your responsibility. Obey your parents in the Lord. Obey your parents in the Lord. Now we turn to the second point. What are the responsibilities of parents? Verse 4. If children are to be obedient and submissive to their parents, the parents are called to live a life of nurturing, teaching, and training of children towards their obedience to God. This is what he says. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Colossians, which is very similar to Ephesians in many ways, states in parallel, Paul says, Fathers, don't provoke your children lest they become discouraged. So anger here and discouragement are connected. Uh, the background here, Paul is aware of the struggles that parents and children had in the culture. In that culture, the spirits of wives and children were often crushed by fathers. The fathers ruled the house and had really, they possessed absolute authority, right? On a whim, they could sell you if you are a wife or a child, unfortunately. They could uh, discipline you in very sinful and beastly ways. And there are apparently records of such tyrannical behavior leading children to great anger and discouragement. And of course, Paul knows that. So he addresses God's community as they're connected to the head. And then he says, look, you parents, be cultivators of your children. Be nurturers of your children. It's so different than the culture. In the culture, authority was used to make children bow down to the father. But authority in the Christian's household, the, in Christian parenting, ought to be used to nurture and encourage, encourage a worshiping heart in our children that bows down to none other than Jesus. 
There really is a tenderness here in, this, in the way that Paul speaks here. Uh, this word, bring up, bring up your children, so it's already been used in 529, Ephesians chapter 529, where Paul says husbands uh, are basically to, uh, are to nourish their wives as their own bodies. So you've got this tenderness here. And Paul uses the word here for generally to just bring up. John Calvin translated this, let them be fondly cherished, deal gently with them. Then he moves on to the how of the responsibility. If the how is to not provoke them to anger, we're going to talk about that a little bit later, and uh, to bring them up. He says the how here is in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The first word covers even physical discipline. The second word covers verbal instruction, teaching. And I think there are two errors that I'm sure all parents here are guilty of. That cor- uh, There are two parenting errors that this verse corrects that can provoke our children to anger. The first error is making your children the center of your world. That's the first error. To make your children the center of your world, which really means tossing out all discipline and instruction, which, you know, really actually is quite common for today. It was also really common in the past. For various reasons, the parents who do this don't do much by way of discipline and don't say much by way of instruction. And you know who exemplified this at times? King David did. Unfortunately, you see the sins of King David affecting his children. We kind of anticipate it though, don't we? I mean, David, who can't even draw boundaries over his own body and the wives of other people. You know, naturally, we expect him to just go and his sins are going to affect his children. He can't even draw boundaries with some of his children. Listen to how 1 Kings 1.6 describes David's interaction with one of his sons, Adonijah. Written about Adonijah, it says, His father had never at any time displeased him by asking, What have you done thus? And why have you done thus so? And here, this is a bad thing. This is not a good thing. Adonijah at this point in time is setting himself up against God's anointed He's going to claim the throne. This is not good. And it says here, his father did not do anything really to displease him. Adonijah goes on to be spoiled, a disobedient man, an entitled man, an angry man who sets himself up against God and God's anointed. In this way, he was an angry man. And we know that what this is like, right? If you don't draw boundaries with your children, they actually... Throw temper tantrums, and a lot more than if you don't. And I'm sure you guys have witnessed this. This is what's going on. No discipline, no instruction, and the children go wild, and in fact, they grow very angry. But David did not upset him, it says. No wonder his child was angry, because he had been catered to his whole entire life. And you see David's failure even earlier than that. In 2 Samuel 13, David fails to execute uh, justice, and he fails to draw boundaries with one of his sons, Amnon, who had committed great sexual evil against his half-sister, Tamar. Amnon was a lustful, devious, violent man. Angry man. And David does nothing to confront his evil, and it leads to other negative, devastating consequences. These are unfortunately real examples of Proverbs 13, 24, which reads, Whoever spares the rod hates his son." But he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. It's interesting that this this word here, discipline, is used also in the book of Hebrews. 
Hebrews 12, 6, and 7, which mentions that... Uh, which mentions that God, as a loving father, just like any loving father would, he disciplines those he loves. Of course, this discipline should never be alone. It should be accompanied by instruction. And the responsibility of instructing young ones was crucial for God's people. To not do so was to break God's law. It was unthinkable for parents to not instruct their children in the Lord. So in what is the most foundational prayers of Israel, Deuteronomy chapter 6, this is what it reads, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. It is the oldest set prayer for Israel. Okay? What, we, what we're going to read right here. The oldest set prayer for Israel. And this would have just rolled off the minds and tongues of Israel, of all God's people, really. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit down in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets, frontlets between your eyes and you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. This would have just flowed from the average Israelite here. So the application for you, parent. How's your Christian instruction and discipline going? If you know that your house could use more godly instruction and discipline, let me encourage you to simply start with the basics. Pray together. Pray as a family together. And Christian father, you take the lead on this. Christian mother, if you don't have a Christian husband, then go for it. You take the lead on this. And guys, don't think you have to prepare like two-hour Bible study to lead your family in prayer. Let me encourage you, you know, do you pray before you eat as a family? Most of us are going to say, yes, we do. Just do this. Just add to that schedule reading the Bible before you pray. And you don't have to read like all of Psalm 19 or all of Ephesians, for example, to have a family devotion, so to speak. All you got to do is just read a psalm. You read a portion of a psalm, and then many of you already know how to pray through Scripture, how you take a passage of Scripture and then praise God for what you see. You yourself can do that. Take a verse, praise God for what you see, and just help, just help uh, steer your, your family's minds toward the gospel of Jesus Christ and God's truth in His Word. Now, you might think, oh, that's not really a big deal, just one prayer, one sentence. Does that really do anything? Friends, you add up all the years that you parent, and your, parent, your children, Lord willing, will look back and say, you know what, my parents did this. I might not have known what they were doing in the beginning, but wow, I really see that they're really trying to teach me in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. What a wonderful testimony that would be. Friends, you do not want your children to get to heaven when they give an account for everything in their lives. You do not want them to give an account about you and say, I never really heard the gospel from my parents, God. They didn't really take time to lead me in the nurture and instruction of the Lord. Now, some of you guys might already be thinking, oh, that's just going to be awkward. You know, I don't, I don't know how many times I've heard that. It's a very common objection. Oh, that's just be really awkward. Um, you know, I've known this person for 30 years. You know, the childhood sweetheart. I've never led this person in prayer. I've never read the word, word of God to this person. It's just going to be strange. Well, friends, let me speak to you. Pointing your family to Jesus. This goes not only to your family, but to your wives as well. Husband, Christian, if you are shepherding a wife. Pointing your family to Jesus. Walking 
helping them walk in His Word, encouraging your wife, evangelizing your, evangelizing your ch- children, is worth you feeling a little awkward. Besides that, so strange how we never go on and ask that about our relationship with God. He's the one who designed that you do everything for His glory. He is the one who gave you your beautiful wife to lead. He is the one that uh, placed your children under your care so that you would shepherd. He is the one who has given you the responsibility. And we never ever say, gosh, you know what? Fulfilling God's command is just too awkward. Talk about awkward. What are we going to say when we stand before God to give an account for all the things that he's called us to do? Now, wives. You might say, my husband never leads. It's going to be awkward. All of a sudden, he's going to take up leadership. You might be bitter because you say, I've had to take up leadership this whole time. Sure, it's going to be awkward. Of course it will be, but you have a choice. You can either make a big deal about how awkward it is and discourage your husband who's trying to legitimately lead you to Christ. You can push back against this God-given authority or you can encourage this God-given authority. Everyone knows it's a little awkward. So tell him how much you appreciate it. How you think it will help redirect your own mind to God because you've just been taken up with trying to wipe up barf off your children's bibs all day. Tell him about how you have greater confidence in his leadership because you know he's trying to, at least trying to, submit his life to the word of God. So fathers and mothers, raise your children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord and begin doing this today. Repent, if you need to, for not doing this. To your children, even. Another major error. Make sure we stay at the center. Or, sorry, the second major error is to parents to make sure that we stay at the center of our children's worlds. This error is making sure that we stay at the center of our children's worlds. So this is to raise our children in the discipline and instruction that is best suitable to you. Raising our children the discipline and instruction that is best suitable to you. Maybe you have a certain type of discipline and instruction, but is not identifiably of the Lord. It is not identifiably of the Lord. So if lack of boundaries provokes children to anger, so does overbearing parenting. So does nitpicking parenting. This type of parenting makes children bow down to the parents and their rules even if cloaked in biblical language. It's using discipline and instruction to drive your own agenda. This is a parenting that turns parents into God and uses God into a me- uh, to use God as a means of maintaining parental control, parental preferences, and maybe even your own laziness. This kind of parenting treats the mundane rules uh, as equal to God's commands and the lordship of Christ. This type of parenting can crush the spirits of children where discipline and and instruction are always for the parents' sake, never for the children's in effort to see them obey Christ. Raise your children, it says, in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So here we see that this isn't our own discipline and instruction. It is that of the Lord. And so we cannot parent and go to the task of parenting wanting us to be at the center of their worlds. Because right here it says that we are supposed to raise them in the destruction, in instruction, not destruction, uh, instruction 
of the Lord. What I mean by this, that oftentimes discipline and instruction are always for the parents' sake and never for the children's. You know, we just simply, in our parenting, don't have our eye on our child's restoration to God. It doesn't have, our discipline that fails to have an eye on displaying the beautiful lordship of Jesus. That's the reason we have this responsibility. The responsibility, don't provoke our children to anger, but raise them in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, of the Lord. That's the reason there, to show our children about the lordship of Jesus Christ. This is why we raise our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. I wonder in your discipline and instruction, how do you help point your children to God? To show the fatherhood of God in your parenting. You know, parents have been given such a wonderful opportunity to display the tender and gracious and righteous and holy love of Jesus Christ to these little souls in our care. We, we have the opportunity to display the new humanity of God in Christ and the power of the gospel where the ethics of the gospel are working into every inch of our lives, even to the mundane aspects of our lives, as it redeems the grind of daily life. So in your discipline and correction, do you display the lordship of Jesus? Even if you don't have children, you know, just think about the way you interact with your friends, and you'll get a good idea, possibly, of how you're going to parent. You can even think about how you, you help uh, take care of the children in the nursery. Right? That's something that the, char- the church charges you to do to some degree. So anyone who works in the nursery ought to be asking, well, how is it that I can display the fatherhood of God with the responsibilities that the church has given me in this particular hour? Does your discipline and instruction, parents, display the freeness of forgiveness in the Lord? So when your children disobey, is there free forgiveness? Or do you hold their sins against them in a way that God does not hold against hold your sins against you? Does your discipline and instruction display God's patience towards sinners when they disobey again? Is there patience recognizing that this little one who stands before you is a sinner just like yourself? Or are you incredulous? Can't believe that this child has sinned again. If that's the case, that discipline is really a discipline driven by self-righteousness. Does your discipline display the restoration of God? How God desires so much to be reconciled or desires so much sinners to be reconciled with himself that he goes the distance, even taking on flesh or his son taking on flesh, to die on the cross. Does your discipline and instruction display God's desire for restoration? Or is your desire in parenting really just driven by your desire to get back at children where the offense is really, the the greatest offense is offense against you Or is the offense clearly seen as an offense against God? Does your discipline display God's steadfast love? Even when they screw up again and again, you are willing to go the distance again and again to see them reconciled to God. Does your discipline and instruction reflect God's grace and His mercy where your children know that you will welcome them with open arms should they turn from their sins? You know, when you discipline them and instruct them, are you mindful that there is one who stands over you, the only one to whom they and you must bow? 
Unfortunately, many of us, though, we see our children, the need for our children to be disciplined, and we either shirk from our responsibilities or take them up because we are the offended party. But we pray, right? We pray as a congregation, God, help us see every opportunity for discipline as an opportunity for us as agents of God charged to shepherd these little souls. And so, therefore, we see every opportunity of discipline and instruction an opportunity to intervene on God's behalf calling our children to repent and believe before it is too late. Doesn't that transform every day of parenting? Where we have so many opportunities to display God's love as He calls all sinners to turn from their sins and believe. In conclusion, children, parents, these are your responsibilities. And we want to take them up and fulfill them in the spirit of the gospel the spirit of Jesus Christ, to ensure that the gospel reaches every single aspect of our lives, just as God determined it to be so. And therefore, we redeem the daily grind. Children, obey your parents and the Lord. Parents, do not provoke them to anger, but raise them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Our last word, we need to be mindful of the power that this has, of displaying God's glory to the world. And even your very own children. Even children. God's glory to your parents. So let us do this being mindful. That there are many people who watch and observe. And can in fact come to know a little bit about God's character. And the truths of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, Lord, we pray that we would be spirit-filled people. And as this passage shows us, being spirit-filled means living out this, these commands in obedience to Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray that you would help us take up these responsibilities and really see them, whether we are submitting or whether we are parenting or whether we are exercising our authority. Lord, we pray that we would see them as opportunities really to display the beauty of your authority, how you are gentle yet mighty, how you are loving, but holy, how you are righteous, but even how you take steps to reconcile sinners to yourself. Father, we pray this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, so Jesus Christ will be magnified here in this place. In your name we pray, amen.